from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the Jack and Spike Show. Welcome back to the Jack and Spike Show. Seattle ranks number one for phone avoidance among large United States metropolitan areas and also is the least religious large metropolitan. There's a correlation here, right? Correlation, causation makes perfect hmm. sense to me. I hadn't tied the two together, but you might be right. It's a little unusual, and also people who use talk to text are unusual, but you know what's not unusual is Mr. John Curley. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Laura. Hello, Andrew. Tuesday afternoon. It's Thursday. Hey, what am I doing? It's Thursday. John, I got to tell you, I texted you last night and because I wanted to check in on my good friend, Mr. Curly, and because yes. your voice was a little hoarse when I was on with you. It was a little, little sound a little strained. So mm. I decided I would text my good friend last night out of the blue yes. just mm-hmm. to touch base with him. Because you cared. Because I cared. Yeah, that's right. Mm. said, hey, John, just wanted to check in with you. hope your voice is feeling better. Now, I know that John had blown out his voice. Uh, at, at an auction, right? Because uh, he was right. screaming at people, buy this, is what he kept saying. Yes. And then I said, I hope you feel better soon. Thank and you. John, because John uses text-to-talk, wrote back, uh, I'm great. One sick. Just blew my voice out at an auction. Talk to you tomorrow. Yep. And it hurt me. It hurt me deeply. It hurt me oh, beyond God. words oh, that I could God. possibly... Oh, it destroyed God. me. I shattered me into a thousand pieces. Because all I wanted to do was check in on my good friend, and then mm. he, did, he didn't even say... Thanks for checking in, Jack. Appreciate it. He said, well, everything's fine. See you tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, great, great. I guess my, my condolences were worth nothing, Mr. Curly, to you. Oh, oh you're so sensitive. <laughs> there, there's an Italian word for this, John. It's called fragile. <laughs> so I think we need to talk about text-to-talk, John and Spike, mm-hmm. because you guys both use text-to-talk or talk-to-text, where you speak into your phone, mm-hmm. and then it writes the text message for you. Yeah. And I think we need to talk about why this is not the way to use text messages. Laura, I believe we have our fun little... Andrew, I believe we have our fun little intro that we have made for Mr. Curly. And now, John Curly goes from Boomer to Zoomer. That's right, John. I got to teach you how to text, buddy. Because every time you do talk to te- talk, text to talk, it's almost indecipherable, my friend. And I think we got to get we got to get back in the texting type link. We as a society need to go back to texting because there are certain <laughs> things that we're missing out on. By not uh-huh. engaging in the art that is the text message, right? Uh, okay, tell me why. You guys oh, don't yeah, get this. Yeah, tell me no. why. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to text you. I'll text and talk right now. I'll come through your phone. Ready? Well, yeah, hold on. I'm ready. Okay, we'll do the whole interview this way. Yeah. I got your call last night. I'm really sorry. I didn't get back to you earlier. I know it hurt your feelings when I'm not more sensitive. And be nice to the spike. And here goes Jack's phone. Let me see. Yeah. <laughs> 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 earlier. Right. But, oh my John, there's an entire there's an entire art between behind, you know, doing emojis, doing hyphens, uh-huh. doing commas that you miss with text to talk. And so I feel like there's this thing that boomers do where they feel as if they need to talk to text because it's efficient, but we're missing the soul of the written word like can you imagine would uh uh mark twain be as good as, of an author as he was samuel clemens yeah if, if he had to text everything if he had, <laughs> he had no, to write if, 144 if he, no if he had to talk into everything if he talked out all mm-hmm. of his books oh. would, he, would he have been as good of a writer i don't think so i think that the art of writing is something that people need to get back into and texting helps it and boomers are leaving it behind you got to be writing more right that's my theory on this john there's a difference between a sculptor using uh, plaster and a 
uh, a bricklayer mm-hmm. using plaster or uh, concrete to build the wall, to build the wall, just to build the wall. The other is you're actually trying to create something out of the same sort of substance, whether it be concrete, concrete, uh, plaster, whatever. The difference is that I'm just answering you back. Thank you. But you wrote me right after the show. I had a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So I just quickly just, you know, I do this. Text Jackass. Jackass. I don't ever read it. I know there's a lot of words that are missing. I don't care. But I know I'm going to talk to you on the phone on Sunday. Right. So we have nice hour, two hour conversations on the phone. I get that. But this is just like, thank. And by the way, I was really touched that you did check in with me. Thank you. It was really nice. But I, you know, I would, didn't want to get into a whole thing. I had other stuff I'm dealing with. So it just <laughs> got it. That's all. That's text well, is just got it. Or just, you talk to anybody, I'll write back K. Yes. K meaning okay. Or Y meaning yes. Or N meaning no. So lo- I hate it when I write, somebody asks me a question. It's yes or no. I write back Y. And then they write back <laughs> Y because I want to know why. I'm like, no, just Y. Yes. Done. Bang, 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 bang. It's the speed and efficiency of the whole thing. I love the telephone. Right. I love, I love talking on the phone. So why but, do you, why do you think that Seattle ranks number one for phone avoidance among large U.S. metros? Because when I look at this, I think that this is a generational problem. For instance, Laura and Nora, I'm sure you guys hate talking on the phone, right? You guys avoid it at all costs. It's not something that you enjoy. They both just shrugged. They, by both the way, just, they, they, they looked at, at me like hey. mean girls during lunch and just shrugged at each other. <laughs> shrugs, shrugs don't work on the phone. <laughs> do, do, you guys, do you guys avoid talking on the phone or do you engage on the phone? I like phone calls, but I tend towards FaceTime. Okay, why FaceTime? Um, why not FaceTime? John, why don't you and I FaceTime? You don't want to see my beautiful face? Is that what it is? I just, the, the art of the phone conversation is something that you had to experience through the 90s and through the mid-2000s. John is an expert conversationalist. Brilliant. You, yep. you can, talk, well to, you can jo- talk to John for 90 minutes, feels like 15 minutes, right? Uh, Spike, you and I chat on the phone 30, 45 yeah, minutes, we'll, an we'll hour go. at a time. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're just talking. We're just chatting. Do you guys ever, John, do you just call? Of course, I know this answer because you call me just to talk to me. But to the to the Zoomers here, do you guys just call somebody just to chat? I call my mom and and then talk to her but for f- that length of time. But frenzies, you don't do it. Yeah, my best friend who moved to Boston a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. You're defeating yeah, my argument good. here one piece yeah. at a time. And my best friend who. You're going to get that or you're going to avoid it? It's okay, so my friend doesn't live in town. Right. But do you guys avoid, like, John? Otherwise, I'll meet in person. I would never do that with a friend who lives in town. John, which do you, it seems like you guys do. Yeah. Why do you, John, do you ever avoid phone calls from anybody? Do you avoid, just you look at the phone and you go, oh, not today, and you hang up on them? All the time. I grew up in a house where there was no like calling just to say, hey, just how you doing or what's going on? Let's I catch mean, up. Yeah. Oh, God, never. Spike? Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I avoid calls because sometimes I don't have the time and I know it's someone's going to need a few more, few more minutes than I have to give. So I'll avoid that and call back at my convenience. Um, I am inundated with calls I don't want. Maybe we avoid calls more than any other city in the country because we're just pilfered with scams and and well, requests. This has become a psychological condition called telephonophobia, where people and I have met people who have this, where the idea of making a phone call for an appointment is anxiety inducing. The idea uh, of calling back your car insurance, hey, Laura, you know what I I'm talking about. I create flowcharts for myself. If they say yes, then you say this. If you say if they say no, 
then you say that. Right. That's, and then I just move through a, the you flow. Have a phone conversation with a guide? So, so John, <laughs> yesterday we had this big debate mm. about how that we are capitulating to people's neuroses to such a degree that they are actually, their ability to tolerate distress is actually atrophying. That they can no mm-hmm. longer do things like do dishes, make phone calls, make appointments. They have to have mom do it for them because they're too anxiety ridden. And I got nothing but pushback from Laura and Jacob and Spike, who are all saying, well, aren't we doing something for their mental health needs when we allow them to to make dinner on paper plates and then just throw it away? Your impression of me is getting really good. Thank you so much. I'm saying that that there needs to be a certain amount of resistance in life to have. You have to push through things that make you uncomfortable so that you improve over time. What say you, John? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it, by by capitulating to their neurosis, you're actually encouraging the neurosis, and then you two are become party to the neurosis, and sub- it becomes somewhat contagious for you. Yes. So no, you have to hold your ground, and then help guide the person out of their neurotic state, and let them know there's no reason for you to feel this way. Um, and if you do this and this, you'll feel better. You, right now, you're in a state of distress that you're creating in your own head. You don't need to do those things. There's nothing. It's like turning the lights on and showing the kid there's nothing under the bed. You can go to sleep now. But <laughs> if you don't turn the lights on, you come in. The kid, hey, there's something oh. under the bed. There's something <laughs> under the bed. Like, Yo, oh, is there? Oh, is there? Oh, come sleep in my bed. You know, no, turn the light on. Look, nothing under there. You're fine. Go back to bed. John, I know you're you're the father of two young adults or, or soon to be young adults. Did, did you have to get my, for my youngest would just not take phone calls, not make phone calls. Had a, had an uncomfortable avoidance of the of the neuroses of making I a know. phone call. I, I made my kid. I made them call and make a reservation for. You a should be terrified when you're a little kid talking on the phone, or even when you're a teenager. It is scary. But you know, we had it. The worst was was you grow up and you hit your teens. Remember this spike calling up some girl that you met or you Ooh. want to talk to, and the f- then the father answered the phone. It's like, oh my yeah. god. Hi, Mister yeah. Bauer. Like, is Jody available? Yeah. I yeah, is who's still there? <laughs> Who, yeah. Who's this? And uh. then like. Girl, there's some guy on the phone for you. You're like, oh my god! <laughs> I had to well, do that. Person, if the brother answered, who's Ooh. this? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, John Curly. We Curly, were, Curly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. From JV. How'd you get this sister? number? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god. I had that happen to me. There was my high school crush, Monica. Where she, I had her phone number. She gave me her home phone number, and I was riddled with anxiety for like four or five days. Even though we had biology together, I was I was shaking with anxiety sure, that's, over that's the. That's what you're supposed to do. So I dial the phone beep every uh-huh. di- every time yeah. I hit the button. It's just like getting elongated uh-huh. beep. You know what I mean? Beep echo going off beep 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 because I just am so ang- you're, you're nervous. I'm yeah. unbelievably nervous. First ring goes, no one picks up the phone. I hang up immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So then I call back again, and it rings two times. My anxiety is so I hang up again. Right? I just couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I was I was so nervous to ask her out for a Friday or a Saturday. I was so riddled with anxiety. We've all been there. Buddy. Finally, I call back a third. Yeah. I call back a third time. Phone rings one time. Her dad picks up the phone. Stop calling this house. <laughs> oh god! Uh, that could have been your soulmate. You missed out on. Right? You would then never to be fulfilled. This is the lessons that you need to go through though as a young man or a young woman to realize that you hold you hold fast, right? Right. You wait the bullet. You wait wait for Monica's dad to pick up the phone. He says, "Who? Who is it? This is the blank and blank residence." And I say, "It's uh, it's Jack. Is uh, I sound like Jacob. Is uh, 
is Monica. Did you do it with Hi, Mr. Smith? This is blank blank. That's good, Spike. That's you got, good. You got to gotta start kissing that bottom as soon as the old man picks up the uh, phone. Yeah, I wish I had had a father in my life other than my grandfather because yeah. oh. he was fairly indifferent to those kinds of those yeah. kind of generational lessons that you yeah. pass down. Yeah. His lessons were like, when you want to get a hold of the operator, you spin the dial <laughs> right. on the side. and you say, Hello, Agnes. Hello. <laughs> Is the line available? <laughs> Could be Cleveland 5274, please. Thank so, you. Uh, another story that I want to talk to you about, John, because uh, you are a religious man and you have deeply held religious convictions, with, uh, which I both respect and to a certain degree admire because I don't have necessarily as strong as convictions as you do, but... Seattle is now the least religious large metropolitan area in the United States. Looks like around 64% of adults in Seattle never attend church or religious services, or they go about uh, once a year. So that's pretty rough, right? That's a pretty Mm -hmm. bad number compared to the rest of the United States. But then... We had a guy who texted in earlier, Kai. Do we still have that text? I got the question. Yeah, yeah you want to read it for John? John, uh, the listener asked this question. Do you need to go to church to be a good person? Why can't you just be a good person in general? Why do you need somebody to tell you to be good or bad or kind? John? Mm. Yeah, so the, those you're, you're placing values on it. it. It's really not really for everyone else for you to be good. What church does for you is a sense of community, which is essential to your good physical and mental health because you're surrounded by other people that are like-minded and they're basically all in one place for one hour once a week to say that they themselves need some thing other than themselves the material world or surrounding themselves but understanding there is a power greater than themselves and they come collectively to humble themselves before that god to realize that they need not only one another but something other than their own ego isn't that so sweet? That's wonderful. Go to church, Spike. Or, or sometimes a bar. Right. That thing you need is alcohol. <laughs> you know? And I'm not talking about abusing the alcohol. I'm talking about community. Well, I, a sense of a kindred experience and, and, and you know, in life. Right, but there are many versions of church. Yeah, and I think, that, great I think that most people need to engage with something that is separate from their own little universe. You know what I mean? So, like, like that rehab that calls me every so often and they say, will you talk to this person that's yeah, hesitant? Yeah. About, and I say, yeah, I'll talk to that person. We make it just as kind of a first name only phone call. They call me. We just kind of chat about, hey, why are you hesitant about going to rehab? Why are you not feeling so good about this? When you separate yourself from your own world and you're of service to somebody else, in a sense, in a weird way, that is kind of like a very, you're, you're humbling yourself to the totality of the amount of suffering or, yeah, or yeah. knowledge of what the world is going through. Yeah, and, and I made a joke there, John, but you made a great point about being able to be around like people and having it, because there's such a sense of isolation these days for all of us. That's right. Oh, and absolutely. And when, when you get with other people for once a week by appointment, whatever, yeah. whatever, yeah. You, whatever the reason, it's, it's a benefit to everybody involved. John, they're early. You have coffee, and then afterwards, you have coffee, bad coffee in the lobby. And, <laughs> you know, it's really nice. And, Catch and then up, they find yeah. out about some of you who want something. The number doesn't surprise me more. When people get married uh, and have children, they're more likely than not to start to search for a religion, whatever that religion is. They tend to become more, quote unquote, religious after the birth of a child because it really does open up the world of what is the purpose? Why are we here? And what have we created and how precious this life is before us and how will we guide this life and by what values? They start to find religion to be a possible sort of place to go to then raise this child that they have before them.
Some people, now not me, because I would never talk about this on the air, but some people say that when they take certain substances, they it, it eventually find religion, certain psychedelic mm. substances. Of course, I would never do this. Well, there, no, there are cultures they, that base a lot right. of their religious beliefs are on... But yeah. they feel as if they are have a closer relationship with their God if they sure. take certain... Okay. But of course, because it's illegal, there's no way I would ever advocate for that on the air or talk about it ever. Do you think it strips away <laughs> inhibitions and, and, uh, and vulnerabilities? No, and those I have or? heard people say that you see certain things ah. which promote a certain understanding of the deeper kind of iconography or image that has been in religion for thousands of years. Okay. Well, that went before the court when the individual that was in prison wanted to uh, do a peyote ceremony right, because right. it was part of his religion. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have heard people say that when you ingest those certain substances that you then begin to realize that there is a fundamental piece of us as human beings which is innately spiritual in nature, right? Mm-hmm. That it is in, It's in, inherently esoteric and cannot be put into words i think john as you have told me previously it's something that you simply cannot put into words because the concept is so ethereal that in order to try to put it into words you would almost dilute it at least that's what you've heard people say at least that's what i've heard people say because i would never do those substances because i would never do it and i certainly would never do it with mr john curley because that would be that'd be violation of certain guidelines and parameters right and i would certainly never talk about it on the air various employing because that would be very very bad (laughs) indeed thank you mr curley thank you thank you sir i appreciate those text messages that you sent S, thanks for having me on the show. I'll talk to you later about those other things you talked about. Bye bye. Later, buddy. All right. So, God, I love John. This is a sweet guy. He's a great gift, man. He's he a, John he Curley is. is a very special human being. We'll take a really quick break <laughs> when we get back. We got more on Biden and Trump at the border because they're both there. I the Biden was looking. He's given the thousand yard stare. He was. He was a little. It was a long flight. He was Air looking Force a one, little yeah. ghost eyes. Yeah, is what bit, I've started calling. While it. as the former president looked sharp as a tack. Yeah, an attack. I think was well, the operative word on what he was doing at the border. Uh, to be fair, Donald Trump looked a little bit too sharp. You Did know you what think? I mean? I think maybe his private oh. physician maybe gave him too much oh. of his oh. vitamins okay. this morning. <laughs> in heavy quotation marks. Okay, because he was walking a little fast he and was. his jaw was moving a little weird. Was. And I'm was. thinking the president or former president Freudian slip. I think that uh, he might have been. Uh, Took, take a, took an extra vitamin today to have a little bit of extra okay. pep in his step he at the border. Talk about that when we get back right after this. All right, so we have a YouTube channel, the Jack and Spike Show on YouTube, which you can subscribe to where we put our digital exclusive content. We do so much show that we have extra show that we do after the show that you can only see on the YouTube channel. And every well comment helps. Right, Spike? Yeah, every well comment. Yeah. You bet. Good, bad, Either or ugly. Good, bad. Doesn't we'll make any difference it. to us. We need the engagement. So Biden and Trump are at the border. They're both competing for the attention of the American people. As Joe Biden was looking really kind of... It's, it's, some days you, you look into those eyes. They're like a, like a doll's eyes, Chief. All black <laughs> and gray. Okay. Right? Yeah. 638 men go in the water. 
452 <laughs> men come out. You know what I mean? Indianapolis, you bet, buddy. Right. I'm just saying yeah. that sometimes Joe Biden looks like he's spirit, He's looking into the spirit world. Do you know what I mean? And he's seeing all the other dead presidents, and they're saying, Joseph, join us, Joseph. Well, I don't care. Right? Come I mean, on. like sometimes I look in those eyes, and I just think, like, geez, Joe, like whoever's doing your programming, have them put like a little bit of... I mean, you know, like having programmed the eyebrows to go up and down every once in a while, right? I think it just needs a little tuck, a little, little face, you know, a little pull back in the back. There are a couple of little clips. The, yeah, but the there's ears. only so many that you can do before you don't have anything You've left. You've got an eye on the side yeah. of each, each side of your head, like, right. a, like yeah, a flounder. Yeah, exactly. If that even is Joe Biden, by the way. I said it. I'm crazy enough to say that on these airwaves. So uh, the president was in Brownsville, yes. uh, surrounded by members of the Border Patrol mm -hmm. in uniform. Mm -hmm who had endorsed his previous plan mm -hmm. of the bipartisan agreement for uh, more uh, more border agents yep. for more uh, funding funding for judges yeah for uh, you know what what's the word I'm looking for asylum uh, asylum, asylum judges yeah right. um it, because you know we the problem with immigration is that we've got an antiquated policy that's been languishing for decades mm -hmm. if not admin multiple administrations and people are what they call catch and release, where they will some will seek asylum, then be released to come back for a for a court date in the future. Correct. And we don't know how to keep track of these folks that are in the country. Correct. Uh, so Biden today at the border in Brownsville, Biden made a, a repitch for the bipartisan agreement, which was kiboshed at the behest of the candidate from the Republican Party, the former president. Told the, uh, the the Republicans in the Senate and the House, don't even take up this. Mm -hmm. don't, told uh, Speaker Johnson, don't even bring this policy to a vote. Killed it on, on delivery. Yeah, and it's a sad state of affairs where we're at this point in politics. And I know that a lot of people have a lot of vitriol, you know, when they, I mean, people hate each other over this kind of stuff, right? People it, hate it, each other. It's the issue of this cycle. Like I, I have seen about three stories this week about migrant kills this person, well, right? The, the, Illegal, the student in Georgia. The student yeah. in Georgia, whatever it is. Right. And what I see when I read the comments underneath it is I, I see this kind of bubbling up of this kind of American nationalism. Where yeah. there's this there's this conception of where now people aren't even too keen on legal immigration, right? They're starting right. to get so agitated by the entire system that they're starting to say, well, any any foreigner in heavy quotation marks is yeah. not welcome here, right? Yeah. We had a story earlier in the show today about how the Texas uh, Supreme Court had overturned or, or deemed the Texas law to stop anybody. That wasn't the Texas Supreme Court, was, was it? Was it was it the U.S. Supreme that Court? Was the, no, that was the federal. The appeals, federal. That was the federal, federal appeals, appeals court. court. Okay, federal appeals court. So that that law from Governor Abbott is unconstitutional. Right. To your point, anybody who's in the country, they feel like I want to see your papers. We're going to send you home, whether you're illegally seeking asylum or not. Yeah, and I think it's. I don't. It, there are so many things that that promote kind of para-racist thoughts or para-racist kind of ideology. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like racist adjacent mm -hmm. where it's not like, it's not true blue racism. Dog whistle? No, that, it's that, not, that? not dog whistle, but it's like racism second cousin. Do you know what oh, I mean? Okay. Who shows mean? up to the party? Because sometimes people say things, well, they'll say things like, well, American, America is meant for Americans, right? And okay. that'll be one comment in the thread. And then you'll go down the, to the next comment and then someone will say, well, what is an American? And then all of a sudden you'll see kind of racism second cousin and they'll say, white Christians, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that it, it's unfortunate to me that for whatever reason, there are people who hold deeply hateful ideas against people who are not Americans who tend to side with Donald Trump because I think it makes his case worse. Does that make sense? It makes perfect like, sense to me. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump is a racist. 
I, I do happen to think, though, that he's got kind of this vague essences of, of kind of boomer ignorance about certain inappropriate things to say about race well, or inappropriate things to say about ethnicity. I, I don't want to speak just openly and candidly because I've always felt that the former president knows exactly what he's saying and how, to use, how to use this particular rhetoric to achieve a political end. Are you sure that's not Stephen Miller? Because Stephen Miller, I think, is Steve the... Miller's a blatant Nazi. I'm sorry. That's that what I'm saying. Like Stephen Miller is the guy who told Trump to use America First. And if you don't know, America First was a was a neo-fascist group in the 1920s and the 1930s. And that the, their slogan and their name was America First. Right. And it was America for white people. Steve Miller, I feel like, is the kind of Grima worm, worm tongue to... Look at Don't, you with the Lord of the Rings hey, reference. Like yeah, you got to go to Comic Con, hey, buddy. Go to Comic Con. No, I, so I, you're right. Whereas yeah. Trump is kind of the you know king of Rohan with his kind of stubbornness and his kind of idea about what he needs to do to protect his people. He's surrounded himself, unfortunately, with a bunch of people who have fascist ideologies or people who are totally fine with a kind of theocracy for us to live in. Yeah. They're not really Republicans. They're not really conservatives. They are theocratic fascists or just flat out fascists, which is why you see all the Internet racists. They love Donald Trump. Yeah. Why is that? Well, they're emboldened because their point well, of view finally has a mouth, a figurehead, a mouthpiece. Why is it that someone like Nick Fuentes, who is a, a vicious theocrat and a vicious racist, why is it that he shows up to Mar-a-Lago to have dinner with Donald Trump? Why is that the case? Why does he pledge allegiance to Donald Trump? Why does he wear MAGA hats? If Donald Trump did not have some kind of vague, you know, essences of these things, I'm not saying that he is. I think this is what people get wrong. I don't think that he has enough intelligence to fully understand what it means to hold racist ideologies. You, you know former I mean? President Trump, you talking about? I'm talking about former President Donald Trump. Okay. What I'm saying is, is that, but he's surrounded himself with people who do firmly hold these ideas. People like Steve Bannon, people like Steve Miller, who are fascists and theocrats. And then it ends up in his rhetoric and it ends up in his talking point. It ends up in his voting base. That's exactly. why. That's, that was and, my point. But it means right. to an end. And that's what's so weird He's about He's willing it. to take these people to dinner. But is know. it him or is he listening to... This is the question that I always ask myself about Donald Trump. Is it him or is he taking advice from Steve Bannon, who's a fascist, or from Stephen Miller, who's a racist? I say that as a statement of opinion, not a statement of fact for legal reasons. Well, Thank I'm, you so much. I'm always saying that Trump doesn't listen to anybody. He thinks he knows best, so I... But then, but if he did that, why would he take Stephen Miller's notes on no, I, this is what you call your campaign? This is the slogan that we use. This is the ideology that we promote, right? Well, the, 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 to me, the worst of this is is the people who say that this was created in the last three years. No. That, is a, that is a complete disingenuous representation of what's going on. They were speaking to the folks down in Texas before, <clears throat> before excuse me, either the current or former president's visits. And like, this has been going on for years and years and years and years. It's a system that needs to be revamped, and we can't get anywhere close to fixing the system. We well, had a bipartisan deal on the table. That I told you helped. how we fix it. I told you how we fix it, right? How? We give it right on the Mexico side of the border. We give them all the pride flag T-shirts, right? Uh-huh. And so when they come across the border, uh-huh. <laughs> they're all wearing rainbow flag T-shirts. Uh-huh. And the border problem will get solved immediately. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. All of a sudden, they'll, they'll all the funding for all the judges you could ever want, all the border security you would ever want. We just got to get those people and we'll just blast. I'm coming out. All, we'll just put huge speakers all across the border, right? And it'll be just blasting that I'm German map. I want the world to know. And then they'll be coming across the, the border. Bienvenidos. We're all gay. And then all of a sudden, that's when they'll say, okay, we got to solve this problem right Got now. it right now. We're here right now. Do you think? <laughs> do you, thank you. Yes. Do you think that um, 
President Biden. <coughs> Come on! Bienvenidos! You think President Biden Mangusta. would win the election today if he closed the border today? Oh, if, if President Biden said, I'm, no. I'm, I'm right now, I'm closing the border. No. Completely no. closing the border. No. I'm, taking, so we I'm, gotta, I'm defusing okay. their biggest argument. This is, I'll use anecdotal evidence because that's what everybody else uses. We got a YouTube comment on on one of our YouTube videos at the Jack and Spike show. Okay. And this person, it was the one that we were making fun of, uh, Donald Trump's shoes. That one? The, the gold, gold shoes? Shoe. Okay. And this guy wrote a comment, which it has it has burned into my brain because of how absurd it was and also how stupid it was. But he said... Uh, you guys need to learn how to respect our 47 presidents. Think about that for two seconds. Okay. Our 47 presidents. And then he says, um, uh, oh man, what was the second half of it? Oh, he goes, he says, and but not respect that traitor Biden. And so it was this weird kind of duality of he wanted us to be polite to all presidents, mm-hmm. but not to the traitor. You know what I mean? Like yeah, his no, fil- I, I So the, I, I say this. People live with a philosophic schism, you know, where they love America, but they also hate everything about it at the same time, where they where they hate politicians, but then they put all their faith in one politician where they despise the bureaucratic state, but then they run to the bureaucratic state and say, protect my religious rights or whatever it is. There is a philosophic schism that we have that creates a kind of social schizophrenia where somebody can say, in all seriousness, we need to respect all 47 presidents, except for Biden, who's a traitor. So, I mean, there's so many layers to that, right? There's so many different pieces to that that can be teased out and analyzed. But fundamentally, it is a kind of psychosis that Americans deal with on a regular basis. Daily, daily. We've got to fix this. Take a really quick break. Laura's got some text messages for us because I accidentally deleted what story we were going to talk about at the end of the show. What kind of texts have we got, Laura? A request for your Jay Leno story. Oh, yes. My Jay Leno story. We can do the Jay Leno story when we get back right after this. So the Emerald City Comic Con is taking place. This Andrew, what is this? Why are you guys ahead bobbing in the other room like a couple of adolescents? What are you doing? It's a sound garden, that's why. Okay. Well, you and Brady Bones are both head bobbing like you guys are listening to rock and roll in the in the attic. The greatest rock and we roll. We kind of are. Made. Yeah. Rock and roll in the attic. Okay. Well, I'll just keep making funny. <laughs> so Emerald City Comic Con is this weekend, yeah. and I decided that I earlier in the show I went on kind of a tirade about why I don't ever want to meet celebrities. Right. And if I did meet celebrities, I would treat them as non-celebrities. I do not treat them like they are important people. I bet they'd enjoy that the, they would be relieved I would to have hope, a real conversation. I would hope. So I I said, you know, at one point in time in my life, I had met Jay Leno and right. then people said, Jack, what's your Jay Leno story? We got to hear this Jay Leno story. A lot story. of people texting in. Yeah. So my grandfather was a big car guy. He was a big Corvette guy, big classic car guy. He owned many Corvettes over the course of his no life. No kidding. And he drove, them in, he drove them into the ground because he didn't appreciate what a vintage car was, but that's besides the point. Uh, and so every year, our big thing together is we would go to Pebble Beach or we would go to Quail Lodge down in Central California and we would go look at the classic car week, right? Oh, wow. It's big Laguna Seca. There's racing that's going on there yeah. the whole night. So once again, this is a year that we are at the Concourse de Alagas and uh, we show up and uh, it, there's a, a, a big old crowd of forming where they bring the cars in because they got to bring the cars, these old vintage cars that basically come out of the fog as they roll oh, onto wow. this golf course oh, on wow. Pebble Beach. So it's gorgeous, right? You're seeing cars that are one-offs from Mercedes from, you know, 100 years ago or right. whatever. 
and they're works of art really is what they are. So you see basically these old ghosts appearing out of the fog. There's this huge crowd forming around where the cars come in. And all of a sudden we hear this kind of like, you know, really otherworldly engine sound. And rounding the corner, wearing a Canadian tuxedo, is none other than Jay Leno in this gigantic steel chrome, you know, chitty chitty bang bang. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's rounding, it's the kind of car that still had, the wheels had like wooden Wooden spokes. Wooden spokes. He's coming around the corner. Everyone's like, hey, Jay Leno. Everyone's losing their mind. collector. He yeah. uh, stops the car, pops out, and it just so happened, a, a random chance of luck, that he stops right in front of my grandfather and I. My grandfather's got his, sh- his hands on my shoulders, and Jay Leno gets out, and he's cracking a couple jokes about his... About his car, uh-huh. and then he, you know, he's he's working the room basically. Mm-hmm. He's got to be a couple, you know, 30, 40 people around Jay Leno because it's Jay Leno, right? Yeah. And he sees me, little eight year old, nine year old oh. kid, and he hones in on me, and he gets down on one knee, and he says, "You like cars?" And I go, "Yeah!" And everyone goes, "Ha ha 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 ha!" And he goes, "Which car here do you want?" And I don't know what to say because I'm nervous and I'm eight or nine. Yeah. So I say, "I want that one." And then he looks at me dead in the eyes and he goes, well, then you'll have to buy it from me because it's the only one in existence. And then everybody started laughing at me, guffawing in my face. And I, a dread of shame and embarrassment flooded my body because they weren't laughing with me. No. They were laughing at me. He made you the brunt of his... I was the butt of Jay oh. Leno's joke. And so I'm looking at Jay Leno and his <laughs> filthy Canadian tuxedo and all these rich people around me. Ha, 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 ha. Little fool. Ha, 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 you idiot. And I'm just filled with this murderous rage towards Jay That's Leno. That's what happened. That and explains so, so much. I'm seething. And then I look up at my grandfather, who I'm expecting to be, you know, he's about to throw haymakers, is right. what I'm he's expecting. Take Jay to the floor. I look up at him, and what do I see? Joy. I see nothing but unabashed, nothing, you know, it's an unbelievable, as if he had seen the face of Christ himself. Yeah. A tears rolling down his eyes in comedic euphoria, having the time of his life. And I thought to myself, Jay Leno, I'll kill you. And so that's my Jay Leno story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Uh, I've never met Jay Leno, and I don't want to. I'd love to meet him now and ask if he remembers that. Uh, remembers Remember that, that little kid day. you shamed? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. Right. So that's my Jay Leno story. And, you know, I have a, I have a couple different celebrity stories, but they're always like a, a massive letdown, if that makes sense. They're never, they're never to the extent of being this. Oh, wow! You're a really decent guy. Yeah, yeah. So nice of you to be that way. Uh, I will say that the nicest celebrity that I ever met. I will say this: the kindest, most kind of thoughtful every man that I ever met, Adam Savage from MythBusters. Oh, okay. Came into there was some conference that was going on at the DoubleTree in Monterey, California. Okay. Came into the movie theater where I was working. Middle of the day, there's nobody in the movie theater, and he just wanted to chat about the movie theater. Sweet. Just a nice, regular guy. Nice. Didn't charge him for his popcorn. Wink, wink. You know what I'm saying? Just me, between me and Adam Savage. Yeah. But a very, very nice guy and a very, very just chummy type of guy. Also, was wearing the exact same thing he wore on the show. Black t-shirt, okay. blue jeans, yeah. black pea coat. Looked, ide- you know what I mean? Black glasses. I mean, it was almost like he just walked off the set. Do you know what I mean? Is he the mustache guy or the other one? He's the other one. The other one. That's what I thought. Jamie is the mustache, mustache guy. guy. Okay. But that was the guy that I met, right? So I like those guys. Yeah. It's, they were nice it's enough just, guys. I hated the American Pickers guys. 
They we, should have called that show Screwing Over Old People for you, stuff they don't know it's worth. Yeah, that show I hated, it was that always because so they would buy these things I for like... I gave you $200 for that. Tomorrow I'm going to sell for $22,000. Right. I saw the one where they bought the sign off of that guy for like 500 bucks. Right. It was an old Vegas sign right. and then they sold it to some collector after they restored exactly. it for like $35,000. Yeah. They should have worn masks <laughs> when they went from barn to barn across America. All right. Well, that was your show for today. Andrew, A-plus today, my job. Excellent job in that flannel. Nate Connors, what yes, is... Sir. Look, is that a zip-up Cairo radio? Absolutely. Not, yeah. And not the same one I wore two days ago. A different yeah, one. Back at it again. Yeah, Nate I love Connors. this place. I love this Looking place. Looking fantastic. Laura, Nora, A-plus as usual. Spike will give you a solid C-plus today. I think you did a pretty good job. Thanks, my friend. You didn't back me up with John? No, I couldn't. I know. I had to leave you out there. So that's... You got, well, you guys have to fix this problem yourself. <laughs> marriages, have, marriages take work. Here's your quote of the day. Nice shooting, son. What's your name? You get the heart attack special. Sure. What does it got on it? Oh, how many meats can we put on a one slice? Exactly. I have to, they actually sent somebody home to me to help me lift it to my face. <laughs> it's everything that ever walked the earth on one one slice. Got of a nice pizza. piece of elephant in got, there. Got some bison. Got some ostrich. Got some pig, chicken. You got an alligator beef, in there. On there. Some okay. raccoon if he can get it.